you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another My Ruby Story. This week, we're talking to Sean Fiorito. Sean, do you want to say hi? How's it going, everybody? Now, we had you on episode 203 of the Ruby Rogues podcast, which was a while ago, April 15th, 2015. Yeah, so we're going to catch up a little. We'll talk about you. But do you want to give just a brief introduction, who you are, what you're up to these days? Yeah, so I'm just a you know regular developer like the rest of us. About five years ago, I quit my job, started my own thing. I did a, I've done a couple products since then. I did sketching with CSS, which is what we talked about on your show the last time. And I did the Angular Escape Plan, which is just this now completely outdated video training for Angular 1 stuff. And I've also been doing my own consulting work like in the last couple of years. So that's that's where I'm at now. Yeah, that's me. Awesome. So you're so you're doing Angular and you're doing yeah. Um, so I'm, so what's interesting is I'm a I'm primarily like the my business is front end development, but I mean I'm I've been a developer for like twelve years. So I've been and I've been doing Python programming since like my dad went to the first Python conference and then he came back and he brought me all these books when he was like, you should learn Python. Nice. Like 15 or something like that. So it's been, you know, uh, I have a long and, you know, complicated career. I've done many, many different things, but yeah. So the bulk of my focus has been on front end stuff just lately, the last like five years or so. And yeah, so I do, I've done all kinds of JavaScript applications, so not just Angular, but also React and Vue, and even like big, complicated JavaScript apps that don't even use a framework. Mm-hmm. Very cool. So, yeah, you mentioned your dad getting you a book on Python, and I usually do ask how you got into programming. Was that kind of it? Kind of. So, so that's how I got into Python. Well, that's actually not how I got into Python. He gave me the books, and then I didn't do it because I was in <laughs> high school, and you know, I was busy driving my car around and being a super cool high school guy uh-huh. but uh <laughs> instead like the way i got started with programming programming was i don't know i like so we had my dad for whatever reason he was a photographer but for whatever reason he had just had all this this he was super interested in technology and computers and stuff so we were like one of the first people in the neighborhood to have an internet connection and he had like in phoenix the only way you could do it for a while was like an actual point-to-point wireless connection so there's you know this big central satellite like a dish thing in the middle of phoenix and it would you know we had this thing on top of our house which would pick up the signal it was super slow and we had 
CompuServe, I think, for a while. But um, <laughs> good old days. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I even re- like I still remember like all the different versions of the modems and like the different uh-huh. sounds they made as they got faster. So that's like we got to do. I got to do all of that, which is feel very lucky that I got to be involved in that so soon. But where, where I guess started with programming was there was this idea. Well, I, I don't know if you ever heard of something called a MUD. That's like a, a multi-user yeah. dungeon. So it was a text-based like room that you, that you could play around it. So my parents didn't really want me to play Dungeons and Dragons. So there there was this educational alternative called a Moo, and there was a it was in oh yeah multi. I don't remember what it stood for, but I remember I was very excited to get on the Moo when I would come home and finish my homework, and I'd be like, Dad, can I get on the Moo? And then I'd have to like interrupt everybody's, you know. Because you can have you can use the phone at the same time, so I would just keep the phone line busy while I was mucking around on this moo thing. It was based out of like Ohio or something. So there were all these college students in Ohio that I was like this twelve year old kid just like interacting with on this moo, and they did all these cool things. You know, it's like you go into a room and you type something. It would be like, you know, it'd be like a trap would happen, or there would be like a tornado or something that would just send you off to another land. And it was I don't know, it was it was really fun. It was, and what I what got me programming was I wanted to be able to do those things rather than just interact with those things. So they gave me what they called a quota. So you could Mm -hmm. only have like, I think I had like 20 kilobytes of space or something like this where I could write. That was a ton back then, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't even, I remember, you know, it was something silly like that, you know, Mm -hmm. like to me now it's silly. It's like, but I got that space to write code and then, you know, I would hop on the move and I got, I got to create like my own little rooms and mm-hmm. then spells basically that would do things. And I was obsessed with that for a while. So then that's kind of how I got started. And then, then like I had a couple of buddies that were, you know, their dads were kind of programmers, engineer types. And so, and then the first real programming I did was I like saved up a lot of money and I bought code warrior, which was like a compiler for C. Uh-huh. Um, so I could do real programming. I did, I did like way more cool stuff with the move than I did with C, but, that's when I that's when I started programming was when I bought that that's awesome that compiler I looked up moo and moo is mud object oriented is what it says on wikipedia oh interesting (laughs) (laughs) okay that's funny that's so funny because yeah they didn't my parents really did not want me doing a dungeons and dragons thing so, but I was like, well, there's this moo thing. I could do that. I bet I knew. I bet I knew when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's funny. So how, how did you get from there to professional style programming? Oh, um, well, so I, I went to college and I distinctly remember at that point, I was also very into physics. Like I mm-hmm. loved it. I took like every physics class that I could in college myself calculus because i was like oh they do all the cool stuff with calculus so before i even had calculus class i was like in the library learning calculus so i could do physics stuff but the so my choice was when i got to college i was like what am i going to do what am i going to do because i went to university of arizona and they have an amazing astrophysics program there and they do all sorts of really interesting stuff there and so i was like well am i going to do that or am i going to do computer science and it was that orientation and i went to talk to the one of the physics professors, you know, to sort of like get a feel for what it was going to be like. And the guy was just a jerk, like an absolute jerk to me. Like, I, I don't even, I don't know. It's like the worst kind of like know-it-all 
like we run into this in our community as developers yeah, a do. lot. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like the, you know, you don't know anything. Like I remember one time, like, well, this, that's a different story, but anyway, so this guy was a jerk to me and I was like, you know what? I forget it. It made me feel bad and it made me feel like I don't want to do that. And maybe that's not for me. So then I, I went and I still couldn't decide cause I was also a very serious piano player at the time. Mm -hmm. So I started off as a piano major and a computer science major. And then, then I was sort of like deciding between the two. So the piano major turned out like I practiced hours per day for a two credit class, which I got an A in, but like <laughs> the amount of work that I put in, you know, for this class was just obscene. Right. Um, so at that point I was like, all right, I guess I'm doing computer science. And it, and it was also like, will I make money as a piano player? Probably not. I think I would like to make money. So that was, I mean, I hate to say it, but like, that was a big factor for me. I still loved programming, you know, like that was something I was for fun. It was a blast, uh -huh. but the reason I chose to do it professionally was, was, you know, that series of events. And then ultimately, like I wanted to have a professional career. So that's how I got started with programming. I think, I think, um, I didn't, I got started with Python programming. So I'm not a Ruby developer at all. I, oh, okay. It's like I've yet to have an excuse to, to do a Ruby project. I've worked with rails projects and you know, I like from the front end perspective. So I know all the right. asset pipeline and all that, but I never touched Ruby though. It's very, I think it's similar to Python. It's, uh -huh. it's got its own little flavor from what I can tell, but I think they're kind of similar, like ballpark, similar languages. But Python, I got I got started with. So I had all those books that my dad had bought me, and then right. I was in, I don't know, like my second or third year of the CS degree. I wasn't loving it, honestly, like because the it wasn't all about programming. Unfortunately, it was like it was almost like a math degree, and I didn't realize I was signing up for that. But then I got into the 300 or 400 level classes, and I hit a I took an artificial intelligence class, and uh -huh. he was having us use Python, and we were right. using Peter Norvig's you know, classic textbook. And I just obsessed, like I obsessed with that class. I was probably like, it was like a full-time job for me. I mean, it was also awesome because that guy, he let me, he let us do basically create our own curriculum. Like he had a standard set of curriculum, which you could do if you wanted to, but he was so flexible that it was like, if you went off and did your own projects, you could never come to class, you could never take a test, and you could still get an A in the class. And that's basically what I did. That's awesome. I, think I was in the class like three times, but I was massively obsessed. I was like in his office visiting him and like borrowing books about genetic algorithms. And, you know, I, I, it was so much <laughs> nice. fun. And I was learning Python too, because that's the, you know, the language that we were using, building all these things. You know, I was, I just had a blast. So that's when I really got into Python was, was in that class. Awesome. So you, you're doing Python and you're, you're kind of clicking along with that. H how did you come around to like the, the drawing with CSS stuff? Yeah. So, <laughs> so what happened was I got out of college and I had, no, I literally had given no thought whatsoever to what kind of job I was going to have. And I was like, it was, it was like a couple months before I'm going to graduate and I have thought zero about a job, which it's very responsible of me, but mm -hmm. I, uh, I just didn't know what the heck to do, you know? Cause I wasn't like, at that point I didn't just, I didn't love the CS degree. I had actually gone into, I had ended up with essentially two degrees. I had an entrepreneur degree in entrepreneurship and a degree in computer science. So 
I was like, what am I going to do? It's like, I loved this entrepreneurship thing, but like, I gotta, I still felt this urge. Like I need to make money. I can't just like go and do nothing. So one of my buddies went and got a job at Accenture. And so I went there, I ended up there for two years and that was terrible. I mean, there was good parts about that experience for sure, but like, I was not a good fit for that. It was 80 hour work weeks. It was Mm -hmm. like SAP giant software projects, which were just not super interesting to me, you know, like that, that was sort of like a hard, like rude awakening. Like here's your intro to software development, a $14 million project that fails, you know, <laughs> like that's, that was, that was Accenture. So then I, again, I went after that, I was like, I just need something that's like not so stressful. Cause it was absolutely crazy. So I could like, all I wanted to do was coast and sort of like figure out what my next thing was. Mm-hmm. And I ended up landing this gig at a, a place called McMaster Car, which is an industrial supply company. Okay. And it turned out to be far cooler than I thought it was going to be. Like, this is where I actually started enjoying programming professionally. Mm-hmm. Because, so, for whatever reason, like, they have an extremely, they had an extremely advanced website for what they were doing, for, like, what you could do 10 years ago, which is when I started they basically were creating their own single page application, their own single page application framework. I mean, we're, we were doing all of that using UE2 instead of jQuery. Uh-huh. Like they had actually started before jQuery was like, yeah, oh, we wow. use jQuery. <laughs> so, <laughs> but it was this very big, complicated website that hired, you know, they had smart people. But here's where I ended up getting into the sketching of CSS thing. They hired, for whatever reason, they, they never, I was the only experienced developer that they hired the entire time I was there. Oh, wow. They had another guy that was an experienced developer, but like after they hired me, it was nobody else. And they would, all they would do is they would hire from like very good colleges, like, you know, Stanford and Northwestern and University of Chicago. They would hire liberal arts majors straight from college, (laughs) drop them into the systems department. None of them had any idea they were going to be programming like very little idea that they were. Oh, wow. It was, uh, so all of a sudden they're dropped in and then every year uh, or so when they would do this big hiring event, I would get like two new people who had never programmed in their entire Uh life on my team. And they're expected to just like dive in and get to work. So like to me, I felt bad, you know, because like it wasn't exactly the easiest programming environment. It was a huge application. I mean, it was not like, you know, simple, easy stuff. Like we were building a single page application with our own internally created framework. And it was like a big ASP.NET site. Like it was not, it's a huge company. It's just private. So like almost nobody knows about it unless, you know, you're a customer. Uh Um, So like, so that was, that, that sort of felt to me to like get people up to speed on this stuff. And like at the time, I think there was Code Academy, and there were these things that they would all try to do, and it just completely fell short of like making them actually able to contribute, like to the right. team and to like our project. So I came up with all kinds of ways to like help people get up to speed more quickly. You know that were on my team because uh-huh. also it just I, people figured out that they could ask me questions. So I was just that turned into my job. It was like <laughs> I'm trying to program. But then I'm just like constantly answering questions all the time and helping people get up to speed. Right. So, so, and and then the other piece was this company, they also really, really liked to work with like prototypes. So 
part of my job was also to sit down sometimes with a, with a manager or somebody before they were, they would do these big planning events every year and they wanted right. to have like kind of live demos or whatever to show people what they wanted to do. And I would sit down with people and we would just, I would code. They would say like, I wanted to kind of do this and this and look like this. So I had to figure out ways to like really quickly, like get stuff working, you know, on the screen, kind of like mm-hmm. as we're talking and as we're sitting together, get stuff going. Right. So it was a combination of like all of that, helping complete beginners, you know, <laughs> do something, be able to actually write code and uh-huh. contribute and get in, get into that mode combined with the rapid prototyping that right. ended up being the base from which I created sketching with CSS for designers. Awesome. Very cool. So I'm, I'm going to push this a little bit over toward Angular. You said you had an Angular course that you put together as well. And we have an Angular podcast. So yeah, let's talk about that here for a minute. Okay. So where did that come out of? And then I guess it's Angular 1. So it's it's not something that people are going to run out and buy these days, but... No, absolutely not. Uh, and yeah, I, <clears throat> it's 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 pretty out of date even for Angular 1 stuff. So because I think there are some legacy projects still mm-hmm. existing yeah. out there. Yeah, so when I did that course, I mean, I think... There was, there was Angular and then that was like the, that was like the main like framework at the time that people were Mm -hmm. looking at starting to use. So what happened with, with that was I, so at that point I was in product mode still, so I wasn't really even consulting. Mm -hmm. So, and my, the people that were, that I was trying to create stuff for were in this, it it turned out that sketching with CSS ended up with these people that were sort of in the no man's land of front end developer, which is like everybody that's a front end developer. I mean, it's, it's, it's like you're a designer, you're a developer, you're somewhere in the middle or, you know, it's, there's this huge chunk of people that are in the middle and the world is moving towards using frameworks. So I saw people trying to figure out how to use angular. And I mean, I was like, I, I got it and I understood like, the value of it right away because we had basically built our own framework at McMaster. And even I think Angular had come out before I left and we had taken a look at it, but we were already like, well, we're pretty invested at this point (laughs) in like direction we went. But I think that something like Angular would have solved a lot of problems Mm -hmm. at McMaster. A lot of the problems that we had because it would have given everybody like a common way of going about creating features and you know we could have also like leaned on the whole ecosystem for training materials and stuff like that so i i was like this is cool i think it's probably worth learning and i checked it out and i really i still really like angular one honestly like the way they the way they did that it was it made a lot of sense to me but it was super hard for people to understand it was like a huge leap to go from jQuery and like you're just working directly with the DOM to like a pretty big separation between like your state and your like DOM manipulation. Like that's a huge jump to make. Mm-hmm. It still is. There's still a lot of people trying to go there. Yeah. Um, there's some and then also the best way to do that stuff. Right. Yeah, exactly. So there's like different ways of doing it. But then it's just like getting people to go from creating jQuery apps to thinking about things in a framework. And then on top of that, Angular added all the stuff that was complicated. Like, you know, like there was like real programming stuff like dependency injection and, you know, stuff like that that seemed like magic, you know, and it was just like, if as soon as something would go wrong, you're screwed. Like you know, if you if you don't really get like how 
how it worked and why you needed it to be this way. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, why did they do dependency injection? Why did that, what is it, you know, how do you create a directive? Like how does this all fit together? Why did they decide to do it that way? So I created the training to answer those questions so that the training is actually like essentially you build angular one, mm-hmm. like it's, you know, rough crude kind of like dive into each thing, but you, we, we sort of like, un, you know, drill into like how, and why like each of these things works. So that was the idea with that. I still would love to do, like, I I think what happened was then for my audience, at least it was over the head of a lot of people. So there needed to be something in the middle. There's like these core, there's always this debate of like, should you learn JavaScript first or should you learn the framework first? Right. And based on this, I think you got to learn JavaScript stuff. There's got to be like some, you know, core, and it's not just yeah. JavaScript. I think it's like a core understanding of like, how would you design a JavaScript application even without a framework? Like, right. I think you got to have that thought process because that's that's the thought process that leads to framework people creating frameworks, mm-hmm. right? It's like, this is the way I would build a, an application yeah. and now it's my framework. But if you don't have that way of thinking, so that's something that I'd like to do at some point in the future is something in the middle there, which is basically like, Okay, here's these JavaScript features. Fine, you need. I mean, learning, you know, ES6 features or whatever is important. You got to learn that. But it's more like, how would you design a JavaScript application, and you know, how do you start thinking like a JavaScript application developer, and then what would it look like? Like, you know, like even this basic concept of like splitting up your state from the DOM. Like that was the right. main thing that we had to learn at McMaster was like, you've got to have a separation between like, you don't want to store state in the DOM, but why, right? Like if people don't understand that, then they're not going to understand why there's even this whole idea of frameworks. So there, there's, it's obvious to developers, but like there's this whole group of people still that are moving into that. And I think that's the big like leap that they have to make. And I, I'd love to do something like that in the middle, but haven't had time. (laughs) Makes sense. Yeah, I I think there is a need there. I've I've seen people come in both ways. I've seen people come in and they just kind of follow whatever it is that people tell them to do in a framework and then they kind of pick up JavaScript as they go and that works. And I've seen people come in and struggle with that approach and then they go learn a little bit of JavaScript and then go, "Oh, this makes a ton of sense." So I think I think it depends a little bit on just what your experience is and where you're coming from, but uh, I think it's a you know, I think it's a fair approach to just say, hey, look, you know, here's how we think about building front-end apps, and then here's where the framework comes in. So, Right. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, I mean, I think if you're an experienced developer, honestly, I think probably you learn JavaScript first. Like, that's what I would do, because I would, you know, I know what happened to me, and it, maybe it is, maybe it yeah. just depends on people. But, like, if I was, you know, jumping into a new framework, and I hadn't, and like JavaScript's weird. If like I was coming from Python to JavaScript, it'd be like, what the heck? You know, there's no way I'd be satisfied with just like copy paste and like, because like React, for example, you really have to understand this and like the scope of this. Like, there's no concealing that. Like, it's part and parcel. Like, so if I had never come into JavaScript and I didn't understand how this worked and I thought maybe it was like self in Python, you know, I'm going to be in trouble. <laughs> like, so I know, like, if I saw that, I'm going to have to understand what that is, you know? 
or how classes work in JavaScript. I mean, I think like the new class syntax kind of conceals the prototypal nature of things, but I think you only can go so far with that. Eventually, it's like you kind of need to know that that's how JavaScript works, you know, that it's different than just like a, you know, a Python class or a Ruby class or whatever. So yeah, I think as an experienced developer, I'd want to, I'm going to have to know more about the language. There's no way I'm yeah. satisfied with just like not knowing how a thing works. But then I think as an inexperienced person, like at least my experience at McMaster says, like, like what I did with when I taught people how to use Git, I think a lot of the like developers and experienced developer really kind of wants to understand how that works. And you're like, Oh, uh-huh. directed asymptotic graph. Cool. I get it. But like a newbie, a totally new person doesn't. Yeah. I mean, that is pointless to them. So the trick is with Git at least is like carve out a really small set of things that they can do to get value from Git right away, be contributing to the team, but not have to understand how it works at all. Right. And then what happens is over time, they're using it so much that your brain just starts kind of like formulating, you know, ideas of how it works. And then you run into problems and then you have to figure out, you know, piecemeal you end up start starting to figure out how it all works so i think like i think it depends if you're coming from a beginner then i think you need to know less about the underpinnings of the Mm -hmm. thing and if you're experienced i think you'll probably want to know more i I bet i would bet that's what drives each of those um decisions yeah i i think that i think there's a lot of truth in that i do want to kind of push back toward your your story just because I have an interview right after this one, and I want to make sure that we're done in time. What are you working on these days? Well, so that's interesting. I actually just got off a six-month sabbatical. I just took a break from everything, from the whole business and everything, because I was like, I kind of want to rethink things and see where I'm at with my career and you know, just spend a lot of time with my family. So I did all that, and I've been back into it for the last couple months. I'm just doing like client work here or there. But actually what I've decided is what I'm doing next is I'm looking for another full-time job. Like I'm going back in that direction. Okay. So I'm looking for like, what I want is I think I want to go towards more like a developer advocate role where Uh I would be, you know, helping other developers work with a product or something like that, which is something I'm pretty good at or going back to maybe like a mentoring or lead role which I really miss a lot. Like I, 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 I really miss directly helping people. I had a little bit of a, a, a mentor. I sometimes do mentoring for my business. And so that's great. And I love that. And that's one of my favorite parts of what I've been doing for the last five years is just like I hop on a call once a week and I'm helping somebody directly with their stuff. And I get to see them, you know, figure stuff out and improve. And, and I love that. I also had the experience of working on a bigger project recently where I was the lead of like five other developers and it was super fun. Like I, I, it was a huge challenge. It was a stretch for me, but like it ended up being a really, really positive experience. So um, I'm looking, I want to go back to that. I also just miss working on a team, you know, doing, I don't know, you probably know what it's like. It's like, that's the one drawback to me. It was like, I'm doing my own thing. It's the solo part of it. (laughs) It's like, uh, I kind of miss the team. Yeah, there's definitely that. I mean, I get some of my fill of that by doing the podcasts, but it's still not necessarily the same as like going into an office and working with everybody on the same kinds of things. So totally, or not even on an office. Like uh, the thing I did was remote, but it's like, we're all working together on it, you know, and you've got like, you know, weekly meetings, that sort of thing. And everybody's collaborating on Slack, just working together on something is, is, is really fun. 
Yeah, um, I just did an interview with Nadia Oduayo. I always say her name wrong. Anyway, but uh, yeah, she was talking about how she teamed up with Saranyat Bark and they're working on something that they're not disclosing yet. But anyway, it was just really interesting because I was like, that would be so fun, right? Just to show up and brainstorm on something and work through a, yes. uh, something with somebody. And yeah, I don't get that as much as I'd like. Yeah, exactly. A bunch of my friends started working on this this SaaS app together. Um, yeah. Oh man, I wish I could plug it for them, and I'm forgetting the name. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but they, uh, but I just get so jealous because, like, I mean, I know all of them. They're really good at what they do, and you know, they're all like working together on this application. And I, that's one of the reasons why I was like, I think, yeah, I want to, I want to switch gears here and go back to working on a team. Because just watching them work together, it was like, oh, I wish I was part of that. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. But I am well, doing some other stuff on my blog. So I'm doing, uh-huh. I'm working on a series now for doing animations with frameworks. So like there was a, an article a while back called Good to Great UI Animations. Uh-huh. Um, and the guy had these examples of like, here's how you could do these. Here's a good UI animation and here's if it's great. So I'm going through, then I saw it and I was like, he clearly didn't actually develop this because this is hard, like really, really hard to do these things. So I'm going through and actually figuring out how to implement those and like, how, how would you, you know, go about doing that? Because I've had to do some stuff like that before on projects and it's just, it's very hard, especially when you're working with a framework that has this total separation between the, the DOM and like, you know, you're supposed to just be working with state over here and it just yeah. changes over here. How do you animate that? Like that's uh for easy for simple stuff it's totally doable. But once you get into like animating the whole page and like everything moves around and you know, which is like where I think we need to go with these user experiences, um, something closer to like a native app experience. Yeah, but uh, it is it's hard. Incredibly hard. Incredibly hard. So I'm working on that. So that's people are interested in that. That's planningforaliens.com and you can just scroll down and sign up for my newsletter. It's called The Invasion. Nice. Well, let's, yeah, let's just encourage people to do that and then let's go ahead and do some picks. So what kinds okay. of things do you post to your newsletter? Stuff like that. Stuff like, you know, things that I'm working on. I, it's been, you know, dead for like the last year basically, but I'm, uh-huh. I'm getting back into it. But it's usually, you know, helpful stuff like for the book for sketchy css you know i create a whole bunch of free resources about flexbox that I, people still use a lot <laughs> there's this uh, flexbox cheat sheet that i created if you just google that that's the first thing that comes up and then from there there's all these like videos like interactive videos that i made and you know i'll write about sometimes i also do little like higher level stuff like kind of think pieces i guess mm-hmm. about like being a developer because i feel like a lot of my audience is really uncomfortable with feeling like they're a developer. So there's a lot of ways to like help people, you know, yeah. work through that. So I, I talk about that. I complain about JavaScript a lot. <laughs> 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 well, yeah, that's, that's the newsletter. Awesome. All right. Well, let's go ahead and do some picks. Uh, do you have some things you want to shout out about? For you, the listeners of Ruby Rogues, Loot Crate is offering an opportunity to save 10% on any new subscription at LootCrate.com. Just enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Loot Crate is one of my favorite things. Every month I get a box in the mail, costs less than $20, and it comes with all kinds of goodies. I have stuff from just looking at my shelf, Batman, Spider-Man, Ninja Turtles, Back to the Future, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, and much, much more. 
So if you're a geek, a gamer, anything like that, and you want cool stuff to put around your office, uh, cool t-shirts, comic books, etc., then definitely check out Loot Crate. To save 10% on your new subscription, go to lootcrate.com slash ruby. Again, that's lootcrate.com slash ruby to save 10% on any new subscription. Enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Yeah, man. So I thought about this. I actually have some like non-programming stuff. Is that okay? Uh-huh. Yeah, well, I got one it. thing that's, that's programming. Okay. So a few years back, I had some extremely bad anxiety. So it was like an incredibly difficult thing for me to deal with. It was a real tough time in my life. And I got through it. And one of the things, and I wanted to mention this because if somebody is in that place, I wanted to offer something that could mm-hmm. maybe be helpful. And the thing that helped me like, <laughs> the biggest bang for my buck. I did a lot of stuff, but like there's this one book that was amazing for me. And if, if it could help anybody even like slightly as much as help me, it'd be, it'll be worth pointing it out, but it's called hope and help for your nerves. I love this book. It's really old. It's written by this little old lady called Claire Weeks. And it's, it's written in like old timey language even, but Oh man, I love it. She totally understands and gets like somebody who's going through that and has real good actionable advice so that's that's one thing i definitely wanted to to shout out and then oh yes so there's something else i'm i'm a bit interested in like health and fitness like that's kind of one of my hobbies i like to ride my bike a lot and so that's something i've been really interested in over the years and recently i discovered a podcast called uh, nourish balance thrive and it is far and away the nerdiest like most scientifically based like podcasts that I could find. Like the team, the team there is they have a couple people with PhDs. They've done all, I think all of them have done some kind of published research. They have a couple MDs that work on the team too, but then they do these podcasts with extremely interesting scientists basically doing work in the field. And they have all kinds of different people that they bring onto the podcast. But I really love, I really love when they have like the science scientists come on mm-hmm. and talk about their their research it's super cool it's super nerdy so if anyone wants to soup like completely nerd out about health and fitness mm-hmm. they also have a program and i'm a client of theirs for athletes so you, you sign up for this this program the elite program package or whatever and it's <laughs> if you really want to geek out like they give you you take like a million tests and and then that you do you make all these decisions based on this data that you've collected and they've got all these like um, research-backed like approaches to fixing stuff. It's been really fun, but the podcast is awesome. Okay, and then the final thing is I'm going to give a plug for a, 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 this company called Fly.io. So Fly.io is a programmable CDN, which I only heard about it because I'm actually, you know, I guess full disclosure, I am in pretty good deep discussions about being their developer advocate. I'm not yet. Uh-huh. <laughs> I wish <All> I was. Right. <laughs> I wish I could say that, but we're working on it. But it's a super cool product, which is why I was really interested. Like, I don't know if if any of your listeners have tried to work with something like Akamai or whatever, that it is pretty inflexible in terms of what you could do. It's basically, I remember at McMaster, we, we signed up for Akamai, it cost a fortune. And then we also yeah. wanted to like, very we wanted we wanted to be more deliberate about what we expunged from the cash and it was just not possible it's like we had we were working with them to have like a java developer write some code it was it was a, a disaster versus with the way fly works is you actually write your own cdn so like you have total access oh nice to do this it's completely open source too 
so like their business model is their products open source, but then if you want to throw it on their infrastructure, which they have like 15 sites around mm-hmm. the country, then you can do that. So you write your app and you deploy it on their, on their stuff. So it's kind of like one of these things, like I have, I don't know, I have talked to a few friends about it and they, they, you know, they'd heard of it and they were like, yeah, I just, I want to think of something to do with it because <laughs> it's pretty cool. I mean, you can almost run, you can run, you can run your app in, in your, um, CDN, which is oh, fascinating. So, so many interesting things that you could do to improve performance. Awesome. I'll have to check this out. Yeah, definitely. It's pretty neat and it's open source. So it's worth mucking around with. Nice. I'm trying to think of some picks. I've, I've already recorded. This is the, my second podcast episode today and my seventh of the week. So Jeez. I'm running out of things to pick. Um, <laughs> One thing that I've, I've kind of gotten back into using is Trello. Um, oh, yeah. I like it. And one thing that I figured out with Trello that I didn't realize, maybe they just didn't have it before, but I've been using this system called User Voice to collect ideas for podcasts. And I think I'm going to move all that stuff over to Trello because I can do it on Trello for basically for free. They have They added a feature where you can invite people to a board just by giving them a link. And so I'm just going to post that link on the website and just say, hey, if you're, you know, if you're doing Ruby or JavaScript or, you know, whatever our shows are about, you know, click here and suggest topics for us to cover. And then, you know, we'll go and line up those shows. So, yeah. And then you can also, you can allow people to vote on them. So oh, that's nice. So then people can in, vote. In Trello? Down. In Trello, yeah. They have plugins oh. for Trello that do that. And so I think cool. I'm just going to add those to the board and then see where we get from there. I'm I'm going back and forth, though, on whether or not I want people to. Yeah, I think I do want people to just join the board. The problem is, is if you jo- join a board, you can modify the board. But I think people are pretty good. And if it becomes a problem, then I'll do something different. But anyway, so yeah, so people just add cards for the stuff that they want to see and they can up or down vote the, the cards they like. Um, and if you want to vote, you don't have to actually join the board. You can just sign into Trello. Oh, nice. But yeah, so that's pretty nice. Man, Trello is so useful. It's so yeah, useful. Yeah, it is. Well, it's I know, simple, and then you can just pull in what you want. You can use it for anything. I had a client that was using it for, he was a, he was a really small company called Board Game Tables, uh-huh. boardgametables.com. But he used it for like, it's he has this whole business process in Trello so he would pass it off to like the the workers that are creating the tables and uh-huh. they would, they were actually like these carpenter guys are like using Trello to like fill in information and update, you know, status and upload pictures of like progress. And then he had used the Trello API. It was what he wanted me to do was to use the Trello API to create like a status page for customers. I mean, it was so uh-huh. cool. It's like, he's got his whole like business process just in Trello and he's got these carpenters using Trello, which I thought was funny. <laughs> yeah. Board game tables. This looks amazing. Isn't it? Yeah, but I'm kind of a woodworking geek, and so I like... I, I'd want to build it myself. Yeah. Because yes. <laughs> I'm an idiot, and I would spend 10 <laughs> billion more hours than it would take them to do it. <laughs> well, if that's your hobby. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, my business coach, actually, he has a four-step process that he puts you through to systemize your business and figure out what you're doing. And that's all in Trello. So... It's basically a course, but it's built in Trello. Oh, cool. Yeah. So I think they just copy their template and then 
you know, invite you to the board. But yeah. Yeah. The, the nourish balance thrive people, they use Trello too, but their founder is like a, he was a hedge fund programmer. Uh-huh. They're also doing some really cool stuff with machine learning and blood tests. It's really cool, yep. but they use Trello for, for their clients too. Basically like he implemented like a scrum process for clients. Cause he's trying to yep. get part of their thing is with clients to get behavior change like getting people to do stuff. Mm-hmm. So they use Trello for that, which I thought was cool. Yep. So I've, I see it used for all kinds of things. It's so, it's such a fascinating tool. Yep. Well, the last thing, and I only have like two minutes, so we'll do it real fast. If people want to find you online, where do they go? Planningforaliens.com. All right. That's, Are you on that's my Twitter main thing. Anything else? I am on Twitter. Nobody's going to be able to spell this, but it's Espirito. I'm on Twitter. Also, I play Battlefront too. And if they want to add me on, playstation network i'm espirito there we can go murder some teenagers together (laughs) i swear i'm the oldest person playing that game (laughs) yeah (laughs) sounds like fun it's a blast all right well i'm gonna go ahead and uh hop off because i've got to get on this other call but thanks for coming okay thanks man all right we'll talk to you later okay bye Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.